Welcome to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, a program brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. Witness Lee, a servant of the Lord for over seven decades on five continents, culminated his ministry with a 21-year book-by-book exposition of the entire Bible, which he called a life study. This life study is the basis of our program today, which includes short portions of the spoken messages given by Witness Lee. Now, let's join today's life study. Psalm 45 is a marvelous psalm, and it starts with verse 1 saying, My heart overflows with a good matter. I speak what I have composed concerning the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. Today in our life study of psalms, we've come to the highest and greatest of all the psalms, Psalm 45. Stay with us for the next half hour as we turn our attention to the fairest among 10,000. This is Matt Miller with Francis Ball. Francis, it's good to have you here with me today for this special Psalm Life Study Program. I think this is really a special time, and I'm especially happy to be here. Francis, there will be two radio programs, actually, on Psalm 45, and we're just going to cover the first eight verses today. And this is related to the praise of the King. Although Witness Lee refers to Psalm 45 as the highest and greatest of all the Psalms, it's not that easy to get into the significance that's contained here. In the title of Psalm 45, there's a very important phrase. It's called a song of love. Why is that so important for today's life study from Psalm 45? Well, I believe the best answer to this question, Matt, is in the footnote in the recovery version of the Old Testament And that footnote is on the word love in Psalm 45, identified by three stars. It says, the Hebrew word is feminine, indicating that the love here is that between a male and a female. According to Song of Songs 1, 14 to 15, Christ is our beloved, and we are his love. The subject of this psalm is love, and the melody is called lilies. Here both love and lilies refer to the saints, the lovers of the Lord Jesus. A lily denotes a pure, simple, single life of trusting in God. This psalm portrays a life of purity and simplicity with an affectionate love for the Lord. Thanks, Francis. Uh, Since this is a song of love, I'd like to read before we start from Song of Songs, chapter 5, verse 10, which says, My beloved is dazzling white, yet ruddy, distinguished among 10,000. Let's go to the life study of Psalms, message number 20, originally spoken by Witness Lee on September 2nd, 1992. We have come to the greatest psalm. Among the 150 psalms, Psalm 45 is the highest and the greatest. But we have to realize to uh, enter into the significance of such a high psalm is not so easy. It seems all these verses are quite common, talking about a king, right? But the way this psalm presents Christ to us is very, very peculiar. Yet, it takes the very common way to present it. The title 
of this psalm says, this psalm is a song of love. And you have to know the word love here in this psalm not referred to the Father's love with the Son, but it refers to love between a couple. And the strange thing here is that this word love in Hebrew, it refers to a female. And this uh, helps us to uh, understand this psalm by a particular book in the Bible. You know, in the Bible, 66 books, there is one on love. And that is the Song of Songs, or the Song of Solomon. If you are going to understand Psalm 45, you must understand the Song of Songs. Psalm 45 is a psalm of love. And Song of Songs is a book of love. And this love is not the love of the Father. Psalm 45 is not on the love in life, but on the love in affection. This is why this psalm is called a poem of love, or a song of love. The writer overflows with a gold matter concerning the king by the ten, as a pen of a ready writer. This means he didn't need to make a draft. Real love doesn't need a draft. If you love me, you have to make a draft. What love is that? Mechanic. The real love, affectionate love, have a pen as a pen of the ready writer. You are ready to write to your love, to write your praise, praising the king. Okay, Francis, let's stop here and talk about this psalm of love and why we need to understand the Song of Songs to understand Psalm 45. And what does it mean to have a tongue like the pen of a ready writer ready to praise the king? Well, Matt, I think the main thing we need to see in uh, the Song of Songs is that love in that book, in the Hebrew language, has both the feminine and the masculine gender, which is really something unusual. But we have to see that so we realize whose love is being talked about. The love here is not the father's love for the son, but this is a love between a male and a female. Love here is used in the feminine gender because it's the love toward the female. But that love is also used in the masculine in connection with the love of the female toward the male. And that's the advantage of the Hebrew language. In this case, it helps us to see this love and how we can have a pen of a ready writer. That means that love has soaked into us and our heart is really bubbling over with a good matter. And this is because the love that's been put into us as the female in this case, is forth the Lord himself. I really like verse 1, Francis. I just want to read it again. It says, My heart overflows with a good matter. I speak what I have composed concerning the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. 
it's really the heart of one who's loving the Lord to speak concerning something loving concerning the king. Let's go on to verse 2, which we're going to cover in the next section with Witness Lee. You are fairer than the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. Then verse 4 says, And in your splendor, ride on victoriously because of truth and meekness and righteousness. Let's rejoin Witness Lee and cover these two verses from Psalm 45. The first eight verses are on the praise of Christ as the King. These praises come from four directions. The first direction is uh, praising the King in his fairness, handsomeness. The first aspect the Lord Jesus came to us with is in his fairness. He has a lot of fairness. He's too fair. Here he says, he's fairer than the sons of men. And Song of Song, chapter 5, verse 10 says, he is the most fair one. Then out of his mouth, he proud all the time grace. He's really fair, really nice. Then God has blessed him forever and ever. God has blessed the man Jesus just because he's too fair, full of grace. He's so sweet. So even these inspire God to bless him. Do you believe? But the Bible says so. Especially there's a verse, verse 5 in Romans 9, Christ as the very God who is blessed forever. Amen. Then what? Then this fair one needs a match. A match with what? With his victory. And think about it. In the whole universe, you have to realize from Adam, all the descendants of Adam have been defeated, including me and you. We all got defeated. Only Christ is a victor. He overcame everything. He got victory in everything. This one needed a match. Christ is really fair, really handsome. But right away, you have praised him in his victory. Christ is balanced. Fairness, victory. Fairness, victory. Yes, he loves you. No doubt, he loves you. But you better read the four Gospels. You could see. Because he has a victory. So he has the high requirements. In Matthew, that is a book of the high requirements. Victory is here to balance fairness. Francis, let's stop again right here and talk about this match that Witness Lee referred to in Psalm 45 between fairness, Christ is so fair, he's the fairest among men, and on the other hand, the victory, the high standard, the righteousness. Verse 2 mentions that he's fairer than the sons of men. Verse 4 says, in your splendor, ride on victoriously. Please develop this match 
of fairness and victory? Well, fairness here, I believe, simply means that he is fair, that he is very attractive, he is handsome. And this is because he has won a victory, a victory over all that Satan had done to humanity. He is the one who came in the human form and gained the victory. He completely defeated Satan's infusion into mankind and came as the one to bear the sin of all mankind in his own body on the cross. So now he is the victor. He has won the victory. Satan has been defeated. And so now this victorious one has been imparted into all his believers. And we see him now very fair. We see him very handsome. We see him as the king. He's not the offering for sin now, but he has come and advanced in all his work to become the king who is victor over all. Francis, this uh, psalm is a psalm of love. And so you have the love here of Christ for the believers. And he came to love them. And you have the response of love saying he is fair. Yet in Psalm 22, you see a different kind of picture there a different picture of Christ, where Christ was rejected. He wasn't received. He wasn't called the fair one. I think Isaiah 53 referred to Christ as a root out of dry ground. Psalm 22 says he was rejected, despised. So talk about this a little bit. We were talking about it before the program today, and I could tell you had some real feeling about this comparison. Well, I'm really amazed at this uh, comparison between Psalm 45, where he's the victor, and where in Psalm 22, he is the victim. He has taken the place of fallen man. He has come in human form to be the offering for sin. And he has been disowned by all the religious Jews. All of Judaism, the Pharisees, and all the followers, the leaders of the Jews, have all despised him, and they've tortured him. They've wanted to get rid of him. They said if he's of God, then God should deliver him. And therefore, it's obvious he's not of God because God does not deliver him. He goes through all these sufferings. They never had any realization of what he was doing. They didn't see him as the fair one. But now, as believers in all that Christ has done for us, bearing our sins, freeing us from the curse of sin, answering God's judgment on sin in our behalf, we see him as the fairest among 10,000. We see him in all his glory. I think everywhere believers need to realize the contrast of these two psalms, and that can be experienced in us by acknowledging that he's the offering for sin in Psalm 22, and he's the victor over sin and over all the evil effects of sin in Psalm 45. So now we behold him as the king, the victorious king, whom God has honored forever. And when we behold him as such a glorious king and see him as the fairest one among 10,000, like you said, we love him. And when we love him, this is really the sign that we're a genuine believer. I, I think a lot of people listening can understand this because they had a point in time in their life where the Lord became fair to them and they began to love the Lord. This is the sign of a real relationship with the king in a loving way. And And in a sense, Francis, this kind of love is so great, you lose track of the other side. You know, in Hebrews chapter 5, it says there's a word of grace, and then it also says there's a word of 
righteousness. And when we fall in love with the Lord, we seem to only have him as the word of grace. So we appreciate him and love him. But as Witness Lee said, there's a match to the side of the word of righteousness. There is a standard with the Lord that the Lord will balance us. Some Christians think, if I just love the Lord, everything will be all right. God loves me. He would never discipline me. There will be no problem for me. Well, this is much more than what the Bible says. I wonder if you could say something about this kind of imbalance among the Christians today. Yes, they have a very serious misunderstanding about Christ's love. They're spoiled not by Christ's love itself, but by their wrong application of Christ's love. For instance, if you speak to them concerning the kingdom truth, dispensational punishment, and the casting of certain believers into outer darkness, these words are unknown to many of them. They may say, you're teaching heresy. Jesus loves me. He's not cruel, and he would not put me into outer darkness. As long as Jesus loves me, everything is all right, just as you've said. This indicates that even genuine believers have been spoiled by their mistaken application of the love of Christ. So I feel this is a big lesson we need to realize and learn so we have a a real matter welling up in our heart concerning the king. You know, Francis, we said at the beginning that it wasn't easy to get into the significance of this particular psalm. And at this point, we're going to have to go on or we'll run out of time, but we'll have to refer our listeners to the life study. But for now, let me read verse 6, and we'll go on with the conclusion here. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. Here's Witness Lee. Then the third item is the kingdom, praising the king in his kingdom. You have to realize kingdom is higher than victory. Kingdom is the issue that comes out of victory. If there's no victory, there's no kingdom. Victory produces the kingdom because Christ, he got victory, so the kingdom belongs to him. It seems... Well, quite good, but too high. Well, you see, you have first pair, fairness to be matched by victory, then kingdom to be balanced by what? Sweetness of his virtues. Two pairs. I praise the Lord that in Psalm 45, in the praise of Christ, there are two pairs which each one balance itself. Fairness, that's sweet. Victory, they're too hard. But fairness here, balancing victory. Then kingdom, too high. But you have sweetness of the virtues. Quite meaningful. The subject of the psalm is love between you and the Lord. You must be a person that loves the Lord. And eventually, you will become his love, his favorite. You are his love, just like he is your love. Every seeking one of the Lord must be full of affection toward him all the time. I can never forget 
John S. and Darby. He lived 84 years, and he never married. Darby never married, remained single all the time. When she became quite old, once he stayed in a hotel, lonely, by himself. You know what? Of the time of bed, Darby said, Lord, I still love you. Out of an old man, privately, Lord, I still love you. I tell you, that word touched me very much and inspired me, my goodness. When I read that word, I was younger than 50. What a shame. I felt I don't love the Lord that much like Darby. Of course, you all know, young people are used to love, right? The old ones are always cold. Old means cold. <laughs> right? When you become old, you are cold. But, to some extent, I don't agree. I don't agree. Deep within me, I believe today I love the Lord Jesus much, much more. This is the psalm, a psalm of pure life with a very affectionate love. Well, this highest and greatest psalm, 45, seems to boil down to a pure life with a very affectionate love. I like Witness Lee's conclusion here, Francis. Uh, You're the oldest guest that we have speaking on this program. That's why I always like to have you here, because of all your enjoyment of the Lord and experience of Christ over the years. But we have to be careful, because Witness Lee just told us that old means cold. (laughs) Matt, I appreciate that word, but I believe my love for the Lord is much greater now than it was When I was 45. Amen. I thank the Lord for being in the Lord's recovery, receiving this ministry that turns my heart to the Lord. Now, in this particular study, we've really had a good matter concerning the king. We've been able to see something of the kingship of Christ. Of course, he suffered for our sins in Psalm 22. But in this psalm, we enjoy him as love, as light, and as the king. I just thank the Lord for such a program and trust that many would turn their heart more to Christ in his genuine love that is not mushy love, but the love that caused him to go to the cross for us and caused him to go through death and resurrection and put his divine life into us and put his divine love into us so now we can love him reciprocally. We can return the love to him that he's put in us. I love the Lord Jesus more now than I did when I was younger. Well, I hope that's the result of our program, Francis, that everyone listening today would, right at this time, have a real turn in their heart to love the Lord in a deeper way. Tell the Lord, Lord, I love you. Francis, thanks for coming in and being with me today for this special Psalm 45. Thank you very much for allowing me to come. I look forward to another time with you. And thank you also for joining us. Uh, As we said earlier, we'd like to encourage you to get the printed Life Studies Call us at 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 1-888-543-3788. We'd also like to hear from you. If you have any comments, call 888-LIFE-STUDY or just send an email to radio at lsm.org. Our mailing address is Living Stream Ministry, P.O. Box 2121, 
Anaheim, California, 92814. On behalf of Francis Ball, this is Matt Miller. Thanks for listening today. God views the church, the redeemed believers, from a heavenly perspective. Far from seeing her as defeated by the power of sin and sins, God views the church as the triumphant and glorious counterpart of Christ, who fully expresses the one who fills all in all. In The Glorious Church, Watchman Nee discusses four significant representations of the church in the Bible. Eve in Genesis chapter 2, the wife in Ephesians 5, the woman in Revelation 12, and the bride in Revelation 21 and 22. In each instance, he presents the church's high calling to fulfill God's eternal purpose. Recently discovered handwritten notes supplement this new and fresh translation of the glorious church, making it the most complete record of the messages given by Watchman Nee in the fall of 1939 and the fall of 1942. The appendix, The Overcomers and God's Dispensational Moves, is a significant never-before-published portion of these notes. The Glorious Church by Watchman Nee from Living Stream Ministry is available now at Christian bookstores or call 1-888-543-3788.